Good morning. I'm amazed that Krista could come up here and bring one other with her, <laughs> and I come needing help to get here by myself. When you saw the stool here this morning, I think you probably wondered what, what was going on. Maybe some guest. I do need a little bit of help at this stage. But here we are, and thanks be to God for that. Maybe we can thank everyone as well who's worshiping with us online. It's not the best morning. It's a summer day, and the sun is still shining up there somewhere. And we're happy to be a part of that. I thought today when we are considering so many things in the world that are happening and which raise a lot of difficult headlines, it might be time for us to consider this world and whose it is and to be thankful for that. I kind of called this after the name of an old hymn that was written about 100 years ago, God of Grace, God of Glory. And uh, maybe we can just consider God in that light as we consider it this morning. I grew up in a, an age, now I'm always seem to be looking back at things nowadays, but I grew up in an age when science fiction was the big thing. And it was in all the comic books, it was in the media. Everybody was wondering what was going on and beginning to explore the world in which we live and the universe of which we are a part. And maybe some of you might even remember the name of Dick Tracy. He was a big hero for those of us who were young then. He had all the gadgets that we can now buy easily, but they were only an imagination in those days. He had a watch that would talk to him. He had little computers and these things that never even existed then. And for one thing that happened, I think, was that interest began to grow in the matter of unidentified flying objects, UFOs. And in that day, it was high in the news out of Roswell, New Mexico, where they suddenly seemed to appear. People would see and pilots would notice it in the sky, unidentified. Where did they come from? Where are they going? Minds were stretched as to the possibility of life somewhere in our universe. What would they look like? Where did they live? Well, fast forward to today, and Discovery Channel and all kinds of popular uh, literature that's with us now raises issues like these again, but it's based on a longer reach into the universe than could have happened all those years ago. We have telescopes that are flying around in orbit around and they can peer way into the sky far beyond what we could even imagine. I noticed the other day on the news one night that there was have discovered the birth of a star. The birth of a star, imagine that. 
And what is right to say about that is that likely that happened thousands, if not millions of years ago. Maybe the star is dead by now. There's that many light years between us and between where that happened. It stretches our minds completely. And it has become evident that not only is our universe bigger than we can imagine, but that there may be other universes beyond our own, even bigger than ours, and there is no limit. We can't speak of it. There is no human concept can really describe what is going on or what has happened years and years ago, and we don't know the number of years. That doesn't apply at all. We're talking about things that are out of our grasp. I understand we're going to revisit the moon shortly, within the next year or two maybe. Some will go. And plans are being made for a trip to Mars. That's not on my bucket list. I don't know about anybody else here. But I think it's going to be a one-way trip. And uh, not me. But stop and think about this. And we can't, we can't really do this, but only in our imagination. Suppose we could stretch a tape measure from here to the outermost limits of all that has ever been created. Imagine the length of that tape. But if we were to measure the distance to Mars on that tape, I suspect it would stretch out to about a centimeter. The things that we can see are pretty close in comparison to the outer limits. I think this brings us to a point that we need to hopefully agree on, that how did this all happen? Science tells us that they're exploring black holes and how creation came about and how the gas is formed and solidified and all of this. But for me, and I hope for most of everyone here and online, there is a measure that we can use, which we don't understand either, but it is the measure of our God who is our creator. We have no idea how the creation came about. This is not a science book. This is the Bible. But it states that it happened in that way. And through faith, to me, that's the answer that we need. If we believe that God is the creator, then we can't say much about God in terms of his power or of his visibility or otherwise, except through Jesus. But the creator has got to be far more limitless than the creation that he made. I'm going to read Psalm 8, which will be the basis of what I really wanted to say this morning. It's a Psalm of King David. David is writing with many of these same questions in his mind, much more limited in science than we have today, 
but we still share some of his wonder, I think. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And I will be returning to this section a little bit later again. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler of the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the sea. As the psalm begins, so it ends. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. To me, this description of God by David and his work opens up to us the concept of a holy God. A holy God. It's a concept that we've lost track of lately, I think. In this context, holy, spelled H-O-L-Y, also means the holy other, the W-H-O-L-L-Y, other. In other words, he is set apart. There is none like him. There is no God to whom we can compare him, certainly not to anyone that we have knowledge of in our lifetimes. If you were to read in Psalm 99, which I won't, but simply to refer to, in that Psalm there are three statements repeated over and over again, verses three, five, and nine. God is holy, therefore let us worship him. He's worthy of our worship. We've tended sometimes, I fear, to reduce God down to a manageable size, something that we can understand a little bit easier. We can describe him as our, some of say their buddy, their pal, or even our equal. Well, none of these fit the description of the God that I know, and maybe it's that way for you as well. God is definitely our creator. We're his creation. He is our friend, and we know that. And we'll be closing a little bit later with that in mind, for sure. But if you read in the first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, the first chapter, you will read those two stories of the creation right there. But in the first one, the writer states his created work under eight headings. 
I'm sure you're familiar with them, but just to remind you, they start each time by these words, and God said, no description of how he did it or why he did it or the means by which it happened, but in the heading, and God said, let there be light, let there be sky, let there be dry ground, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, livestock, and ending with making man in his own image, male and female. And here we are. We are still part of God's creation, his created work. How did it come about? Where was the beginning? How long ago? I have no answer to that, nor does science. But in the midst of this, King David shakes his head in amazement in those two verses, verses 3 and 4, that I said we'd call to mind again. And he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Of all the billions times billions of people that you have created, how can you be concerned about me? And we should ask that of ourselves too. How could he be concerned about me or about any one of you? And when we see, that's the word from David, but when we know now through Jesus, we can realize that God does care very specially for us, as he did for the birds that he created. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, in the sermon there, he said, look at the birds of the air. Your father feeds them. He cares for them. He is concerned if one of them falls or is hurt, even a sparrow. Are you not worth much more than many sparrows? That is the insight that we have from the creator of the creation. So there's two kind of concepts I'd like to share with you this morning, and only briefly, but I think they're important. Number one is that God's holiness, and we've talked about that, and human evil cannot coexist. They cannot. It's like light and dark. You turn on the lights, well, the darkness is gone. You turn the lights off, it's dark. You cannot have the both of them together. And God's holiness and human evil are the same. They cannot exist together. The minor prophet Habakkuk, in his short book in the Old Testament, says of God, you are of purer eyes than to see evil. You cannot look at wrong. God cannot stand that. Justice and injustice cannot coexist. And so, as we know in the Old Testament, the system of sacrifices was established as a part of how human sin and failure could 
somehow be brought into a degree of atonement for the Israelite people, God's people. And so we know that the best of the crops and the best of the herds were brought before God as a payment, partial payment at least, for sinful misdeeds. As if such a payment could in any way pay off the sinful debts. And so it was that the cycle of righteousness and evil went over and over and over again in their lives. If you read in the books of the judges and of the law, you'll find that happened. It seems to happen in our day too, doesn't it? We rise to a little higher degree of righteousness, and then, bang, something else comes in and drags us right back to where we were before. <coughs> Holiness and evil continued to try to coexist among the Israelite people, and it just didn't work. God realized that. We were as far, far apart from God's righteousness and excellence as the East is from the West as far as the planet Earth is, from wherever the outer limits of his creation might be. There is the burnt offering. There is the grain offering, the peace offering, and all the various requirements of the law that were applied to each in great detail. Read in the book of Numbers sometimes. You can find out all those restrictions, all those laws that had to be kept. And if you had a problem, why well, you would go to the Pharisees. They were the ex experts. And we know how Jesus and the Pharisees got along. Not very well. But this was all they had in order to somehow reconcile with the holy God. It had to be done through the high priest. But now we know, of course, that in his holiness, God voluntarily offered the supreme sacrifice because he knew himself that there was just no other way. These people are struggling. They don't seem to understand what the law requires. And even if they do, it still won't measure up to what I the Creator requires of them. And so I trust we're well aware of the good news of the gospel. It's established right there. If anybody asks you what the good news is, here it is. Read in many places. I suggest we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, where the writer says this, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
in Christ, a light brighter than any imaginable, has forever dispelled the darkness of death. Now this put into a far different perspective what was required under the law. Paul had a difficulty with the people in, in the, the gen, among the Gentiles of Galatia. And in his letter, he was forever warning them. Look, I was, when I was with you, I explained this all out to you. And now I hear that you're drifting back into the requirements of the law and making that your way of salvation. And I warn you, in his letter he said, don't be falling back into the old ways. Your requirements have been met. And if you read in the revelation that John received in his book, chapter 22 of Revelation, he said there that there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And he's speaking to all who accept Jesus as the supreme sacrifice and God's gift of salvation for their lives and ours. John sort of caught a glimpse of what we will all see through faith in him because there is no other way that we'll ever experience it. And so I wanted to establish in our minds the fact that God is a God who is holy. He is far above us. He is our creator, he's our redeemer, he's our friend. And so the whole circle becomes complete as we think of him in that way. He's not a God who stands over us as a boss with a weapon to straighten us up because we're not able to be straightened up. It won't ever happen, good as we may be committed as we may be to our Lord and Savior. We're still making mistakes over and over and over again. I've done many in the last day or two, I'm sure, in God's sight, and so have you. But the other wonder of it is not only that the gift of salvation is such for all of his creation, but he's able to focus on every living hum human being that he ever created. I spoke about this a few moments ago. But recall again the amazement of King David in his psalm. God, out of all your creation, what is man that you care for him? And he said in his own mind, I'm sure, as I would, for I too stand in amazement with David. How God, can you consider me? Out of the millions and billions and billions of people that inhabit this world right now and have all the history back to however far back it is. 
One illustration that came to my mind is a poor one because all the illustrations are imperfect. But if you were to consider all the sand and all the beaches in all the world, whatever beach you may go to, but it's only one. But take a handful of that, the millions of grains of sand that you may have in your hand. Maybe that represents the created work of God in all the people that he has made. And when you shake the hand off, the sand off your hand, well, there's one grain left. Let us say that represents me or you. Out of all that creation, how can God focus on one person? Isn't it wonderful? We don't know how or why, but isn't it wonderful that he can represent us in such an individual way. Words of an old hymn are familiar to me, maybe to some of you. The writer said, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. That grain of sand is imperfect. It's one of the poorest ones I could have been left with. But by the grace of God, he cares, and he's able to make us new. I find that the message of all this is summed up so much in the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. When, he, when it's recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 19, Jesus said, final words on the cross. It's finished. That represents the fact that he himself had died. He did die. He absolutely did. Absolutely did. He didn't just pass away. He didn't simply disappear from the scene and reappear in some miraculous way. No, he died. And the world as it were, almost stopped. There was a great darkness over the land. And we know the whole story. The curtain in the temple was torn down. The high priest no longer had to be there with God on behalf of the people. And Jesus said, it's not only finished, but the system of sacrifice is finished now too. This is all you need, all that I have done. And he said that all who believe in me are covered by his grace, one by one, by one, by one. Not just in a blanket way, but in a way that each one of us has to accept and can receive that gift, which is so great. These are the very words of God from his Son, our Savior. It reflects what we cannot understand, but what he does. In the same way, we can't say much about the universe even yet. Farther and farther this, as we can reach out, we don't know how much farther. But these instruments that are sent out 
way into space still are able to transmit something about what is out there. But it doesn't describe it. And we don't know where the limit is yet. I don't think we ever will. Because we can't be speaking about limits when we refer to God. Nor can we speak about his created work because it is without limits. This is the work of a holy God. He's a God of grace. He's a God of glory. We think of the glory as we stand in awe of what he has done and what we can see with our eyes. But more than that, what we can expect through the power of faith. But the creator has accomplished what we could never have accomplished in the end. He saw that the people that I have made have their limitations. My standard is far higher. They will never reach it. And so I'm going to have to finish what I began. And he has accomplished it. And when Jesus said it is finished, he said to us, the work of sacrifice is accomplished now too. He said, your account is settled. No further payments are required. Let's pray together. God, we stand in amazement as King David and so many others have before you. And looking out at your universe, we realize we will never see and probably never know what limitations there are because there are none. Even as there are no limitations to your power, to your grace, to your love. So here we are today, O oh God, reviewing and reestablishing in our minds that which you have already done. We are a part of your created world. We thank you that we're part of your family and that on the cross and in the resurrection, you have completed the work that we only attempted and no longer need to try to do because you've covered us with your grace in Christ our Savior. That's why we're here today to thank you as we have done in the past and we will always try to do. And we pray in Jesus' name. <laughs>